Is there a Connie Lingus here? <laughs> what about Anita Dickenming? <laughs> or Cacklin. Or Holden, Holden Middick. <laughs> okay. Are any three of those people here? All right. Hello? Anybody? You got your, you got your, you got your moment. I hope you enjoy it. I will. Fuck you. Attention, South Dakota residents. Everything is fine. Everything is beautiful. Go back to your homes. Go back to your jobs. Trust in the authority. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Keeping you docile and distracted during times of uncertainty. This is the South Dakota Department of Propaganda Podcast. Here are your authority figures, Steve and Corny. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the South Dakota Department of Propaganda podcast, a cynical attempt to distract you from the systematic dismantling of everything you hold dear. I'm your host, Steve, and with me, as always, is my good pal and show mascot, Corny. Hey, Steve. I came up with a new motto for the GOP. Would you like to hear it? Sure, Corny. We're not a death cult. We're an end-of-life NGO. I like it. Nice work, Corny. This week's agenda, Moms for Liberty, is an organization that formed in January 2021 in the United States. Moms for Liberty is an organization that claims they focus on promoting parental rights and advocating for children's education. Their primary goal is to empower parents to stand up for their children's rights within the educational system. What they actually mean by this is book bans. Book banning in the United States has a long and complex history with attempts to censor or restrict access to certain books for various reasons. Book bans typically stem from concerns about the content of a book, such as explicit language, violence, sexual content, or ideas that challenge prevailing social norms or authority. Here is a brief overview of the history of book bans in the United States. Colonial Era and Early Republic, 1600s to 1700s. In the early years of American history, book censorship was mainly driven by religious authorities who sought to maintain control over religious doctrine and suppress dissenting ideas. Books that contradicted religious teachings or were seen as blasphemous or heretical were often banned or burned. 19th century. During this period, censorship shifted toward addressing moral and social concerns, particularly around issues of sexuality and obscenity. Books such as Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, 1855, and Gustave Flaubert's Madame Bovary, 1856, were banned or faced legal challenges due to their explicit content. Early 20th century. The early 1900s saw the establishment of the Comstock Act, 1873, which criminalized the mailing of obscene, lewd, or lascivious materials. As a result, Works like D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover, 1928, and James Joyce's Ulysses, 1922, were banned from being imported or mailed in the United States. Mid-20th century. The 1950s and 1960s saw a rise in book-banning efforts, often targeting books that dealt with issues such as civil rights, 
sexuality, and anti-establishment ideas. Books like J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, 1951, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, 1960, and Joseph Heller's Catch-22, 1961, faced bans or restrictions in schools and libraries across the United States, late 20th century to present. In recent decades, book-banning efforts have continued, with many challenges focused on books that are deemed inappropriate for young readers or that discuss controversial topics. Notable examples include J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, 1997-2007, challenged for its portrayal of witchcraft and the occult, and Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, 1969, challenged for its frank discussion of sexual abuse and racism. Throughout its history, the United States has experienced a continuous struggle between the protection of free speech and expression and the desire to shield society from potentially harmful ideas or content. Efforts to ban books are often met with resistance, and organizations like the American Library Association, ALA, actively promote the freedom to read and fight against censorship. In Minnehaha County, South Dakota, three parents collectively, Michelle Klemek, Amy Bruner, and Chad Bishop, have taken up the most airtime at Sioux Falls school board meetings and legislative hearings this session to ask for the limitation of several books they find fault with. Klimek, a leader of the Minnehaha County Moms for Liberty chapter and a parent of three children, two of whom are homeschooled and one who is a senior at Washington High School, has spoken at multiple school board meetings about what type of books shouldn't be available to students. In the February 27th and March 13th school board meetings, Klimek presented a handout with an excerpt from Assassination Classroom by Yusei Matsui, a Japanese science fiction comedy manga series she found fault with for its explicit depictions of violence, profanity, and sexual activities. She presented the book during a February 27th school board meeting in which the board's Good News Report celebrated the work of school librarians for their Everybody Reads initiative, and the crowd at that board meeting was largely filled with school librarians and administrators. Most recently in the March 13th board meeting, Bruner said she and several other parents have identified at least 152 books in the district containing varying degrees of sexual content, profanity, propaganda, and violence that many families find objectionable, she said. Despite these parents' demands, the Sioux Falls School District hasn't reconsidered any of the titles the parents have complained about, according to the Argus leader. The district has only reconsidered nine books in the last 20 years. In each case, none of the books were removed from the libraries, according to decisions by the Instructional Materials Committee. The most recent request the district had to reconsider a book was filed on February 28, 2023, and the request wasn't to remove a book, but for school staff to create a special section in the library, which has been denied, Community Relations Coordinator Deanne Conrad said. The committee will still review the book, of which Conrad couldn't release the name until a decision is made. In an Instructional Materials Committee report for Fights, One Boy's Triumph Over Violence, a student's parent at Washington High School requested the library create a special section for books with themes centered on child sexual, physical, and mental abuse, and that parents annually sign an opt-in approval for their children to select books from that section. The committee decided in meetings February 9th and March 1st that the graphic novel should remain in the high school library with no special section created.
The committee's decision was solidified by the school board in a March 13th meeting. Other districts across the state have reckoned with similar demands for book bans, including for The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Rapid City Area Schools considered last May destroying five different sets of books. How Beautiful We Were, a novel by Imbolo Mbu, Fun Home, a family tragic comic by Alison Bechdel, The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, Girl, Woman, Other, a novel by Bernadine Evaristo, and The Circle by Dave Eggers. Eggers himself came to testify against the destruction of his books at an RKS board meeting. In Pierre, two parents expressed concern in December about The Absolute True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie at a school board meeting for its discussion of masturbation, the Capital Journal reported at the time. One of those parents, Julie Muldoon, was a member of the local Moms for Liberty chapter. At the legislative level, these parents lobbying, along with the requests of some conservative lawmakers, wasn't enough to pass either House Bill 1163 or Senate Bill 193. HB 1163 was written to prohibit the dissemination of material harmful to minors in a public school or public library, and SB 193 was written to establish provisions related to the review and selection of instructional materials in school districts. In the first and only hearing for HB 1163 in the House Education Committee February 8th, proponents included Reverend John Hansen, R. Dell Rapids, Senator Jessica Castleberry, R. Rapids City, Climac, Bruner, citizens from Oral and Brookings, and a lobbyist with Families for Alternative Instruction Rights in South Dakota and Family Heritage Alliance Action. Bruner brought another book example to the committee hearing, Lucky by Alice Siebold, which she said had a violent depiction of sexual assault and said she didn't want to be made available to her children or others. In the first and only hearing for SB 193 in the Senate Education Committee on February 16th, proponents included Bruner, Klimek, Castleberry, Reverend Sue Peterson, R. Sue Falls, parents from Lyman County, Madison and Olivet, and a lobbyist for Family Heritage Alliance Action. Both HB 1163 and SB 193 saw opposition from lobbyists with the large school group, Associated School Boards of South Dakota, the South Dakota Library Association, South Dakota Education Association, and the Sioux Falls School District. The South Dakota United School Association also opposed HB 1163. HB 1163 was killed on a 9-3 vote, and SB 193 was killed on a 5-2 vote. District lobbyist Sam Nelson explained the district's policy to both committees and said parents can talk to the school principal or librarian to limit their own child's access to material if they don't like it, in addition to filing a complaint or request for reconsideration. Bruner complained in February 13th and February 27th board meetings that District Lobbyist Sam Nelson was an opponent of HB 1163, which was killed. In the latter meeting, she questioned if the district had a rogue lobbyist who misrepresented the real school district position because the district's legislative position spreadsheet states the district is neutral on HB 1163. Superintendent Jane Stavum responded to Bruner's remarks during the February 27th board meeting, explaining lobbyists often speak in hearings and provide information to committees, and that things can often change during a committee hearing. I have all the confidence in the world in Sam Nelson, Stavum said. Our primary position on that was neutral because we don't need a policy, because one already exists. 
I want to make that very clear. Across the nation, Moms for Liberty chapters and other local PACs have driven interest in school board races, endorsing and raising money for candidates, many of whom rejected mask mandates in the wake of COVID-19 or opposed race-based education, according to USA Today. The group opposes government overreach, promotes liberty, and engages communities and elected leaders on key issues impacting our families, according to its website. In Florida, leaders of the group have presented on ways schools were supposedly corrupting their children with secret Marxist beliefs and griped about social-emotional learning that teaches students empathy and emotional processing. At the Moms for Liberty Summit in Florida this summer, members told of a cynical conspiracy infiltrating American public schools with little or no evidence to support their claims, according to the news press. The group's successes have been seen across the country in schools and libraries that have reviewed and removed books and in states that have passed laws restricting what schools can teach about race and LGBTQ issues. Maggie Seidel, a former senior advisor and policy director for Governor Christy Noem, is still in Pierre and confirmed in an email to the Argus leader that she's the chapter chair of South Dakota's new and only Moms for Liberty chapter based in Hughes County, where Pierre is the county seat. Seidel resigned from the governor's office in March 2021 and shortly after announced she was tapped to lead communications for D.C.-based financial security company Finseca. She has lived in Pierre for nearly three years now. Our government has a firm policy not to capitulate to terrorist demands, that no concessions policy remains in force. In spite of the wildly speculative and false stories about arms for hostages and alleged ransom payments, we did not, repeat, did not trade weapons or anything else for hostages, nor will we. Two months ago, I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. The end of the Reagan era, I'm like Lemma 12 old enough to understand the shit that changed forever. They declared the war on drugs, like a war on terror, but what it really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us niggas, and lay us on our belly while they fingers on their triggers. They bristles on our head. And now it's time for everyone's new favorite segment, South Dakota Children's Science Corner. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. This end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the gun. The gun is good. The gun is good! The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Go forth and kill. Zardoz has spoken.
Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to call into the podcast, you can leave a voicemail at 605-937-8925. You can also send audio by direct message or record a message and send it to infosouthdakotatruth.com. Just remember, anything you say or think while calling will be recorded and may be played unedited on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the South Dakota Department of Propaganda podcast.